0: So if everyone could turn with me to Romans 8. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning for us to gather together. I ask you to bless the words that I speak in all of our hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was going to start off with a conversation about how rich this passage is and how 10 such lessons wouldn't be sufficient to cover all of its details. Um, so to add to that, uh, 30 minutes shouldn't be enough either, <laughs> but we'll do the best that we can. It's, it's worth pausing, even with the short time we have, to focus on the very first verse. Um, and just allowing it to sink into our hearts. This isn't something that we should just read and leave a passing comment on and then progress onward. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Another way that could be phrased is therefore there is now, a little easier to our ears, um, and that therefore is connecting all the way back to the justification by faith that we receive in Christ so because we are justified by faith in Christ we are freed from condemnation for all time there is now nothing that can stand and pass um, condemning judgments on us there is nothing that can proclaim a sentence of death on us anymore. We are freed from that. And frankly, it's a promise that nothing else could offer. No law, no religion could ever offer the promise that you would be free going forward forever from any punishment any death for your sin so I said that therefore connects back to the justification by faith it also connects to the change that happens within us where we are um, where we die with Christ and we are raised to new life in the spirit with him Um, in verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For is a word, you know, which as we're familiar with, means that what I am going to say is the foundation for the previous idea I just presented. So, why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? because the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death (coughs) and why is it called the law in sin and death what is the law of sin and death well that is the law whether written on the heart or given directly um, like the mosaic law that holds us to a moral standard that tells us that we are required to act a certain way, and if we fall short of that, we bear the penalty of death. Paul spent some time in the previous chapters explaining why, um, how the law can bring death and still be good, Um, so I'm not going to spend too much time on that. Um, But to summarize it quickly, the law is... While it was good, it's weakened by our sinfulness, our sinful flesh, and thereby, its demand of righteousness and its path to eternal life instead only produces death in
1: us. Mm-hmm. I have a com- comment that I don't want to go backwards. but I just want to say one thing about this word now in verse one, has a whole bunch of things tied up into that. Um, I think. Partially, that's there because something has happened to change the fact that at once we were condemned. Yeah, and that—that that I think is an important aspect of that verse. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Certainly, um, and this verse will—that verse will continue to be in the present tense for the entirety of our lives. It isn't that like now we're freed from any previous penalties and we now have the obligation of living perfectly for the rest of our life mm-hmm. it's as long as these words are written in god's book you are free from condemnation mm-hmm. because it will always be the now for those who are in ju- mm-hmm. who are justified by faith so verse 3 continues on to explain some of what I just explained um, about the, the law of sin and death. He uses four again to show that he's building on the same idea and um, explaining it. He explains why it was necessary for um, freedom from sin and condemnation to be achieved in this way. He explains why we have to be set free through the law of sin and death, uh, free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He explains For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin so the law could not save us it could not produce in us righteousness leading to eternal life because it was weakened by the flesh so God in his great love has a better plan and he had this better plan from eternity knowing that the law would never be sufficient so he sends his son in the likeness of that very flesh that could never keep the law and for sin that for sin there is um, a Greek phrase that in the Septuagint is translated is how they translate an offering for sin or sin sacrifice so what that means is they, he sent Christ in his likeness in our likeness as a sin sacrifice and through that sin sacrifice he condemned sin in the flesh you can almost picture it as a bunch of people in, in a mud pit and they're, they're trapped in that mud pit if you hose them down with water all it's going to do is make more mud It's not going to make them any less filthy. It's not going to clean them up. That's what the law does. Well, in your imagination, water should be enough to cleanse us. Law should be enough to lead us to righteousness. The reality is that it only increases our filth. So what happens is, is you have to get into the pit and get people out of there so that they can be cleansed and that's what God does for us he comes down into the filth and the muck and brings us out so that we can be cleansed so we're free from condemnation and that has been that's true because Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death he set us free he was necessary to set us free because the law was weakened by flesh and so someone needed to come and be a sacrifice for our sin because the law could never save us so why did all of this happen in verse 4 in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit so the reason why he condemned sin in the flesh through Christ the reason why he chose to bring salvation through Christ's sacrifice and not through any sort of law or any other means was so that he would receive the glory he wanted to have a people called by his name who had a heart after his heart, who brought him glory and displayed his amazing attributes. So, that's why he wants those who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And Paul will continue to to show how those who walk according to the Spirit are people who truly glorify God as opposed to those who walk according to the flesh. How external righteousness that the Pharisees practiced failed to bring God the glory that He wants from people, that He wants to be praised for. So, that's why in verse 5 Paul explains for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit the point Paul's making there is actually that our actions in our heart can never be divorced from each other those who Walk according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit no one walks in a spiritual way truly with a heart that is after the flesh and no one with a heart after the flesh glorifies God in their heart by having a heart set on him There's, they're intrinsically connected so what Paul is showing here is why God wanted a, a plan of salvation that was for those who walked according to the spirit and not according to the flesh because he didn't want just people who seemed outwardly righteous but he wanted people who in their hearts loved him and set their minds and their focus on him
2: Justin Um, is the law of the Spirit of Christ the same as the third person of the Trinity dwelling within us the Holy Spirit and then if that is the case then how do we define this new law of Christ that obviously the old covenant saints did not have
0: yeah so there's multiple ways uh, multiple layers of meaning I think to the use of law in this passage Mm -hmm. um I think it both refers to a governing principle as well as um, the dominion or the rule of. Um, So the governing principle of the law of the spirit of life is that righteousness is by faith in Jesus Christ and the dominion that you belong to is the dominion of the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity just as the law of sin and death is the governing principle that um, if you are perfectly righteous you will receive eternal life and if you fall short to that you will bear condemnation that's the governing principle of the law of sin and death and it also falls under the the dominion and the rule of that Does that answer your question?
2: Well, I, I, the next question then is, Is there are Christ's words equivalent to law? Are the, his commands equivalent to law? And does it have somewhat of a reference to that as well? Um. Or is this more just principle? Big question. Yes, and you have less time today. <laughs> 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 well,
0: I kind of chunk through like the first five pages of my notes. First
1: thing are commenting on, uh, you on verse two. Um,
0: he hearkened us back to verse two for right, a question. Right,
2: but, but he's 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 in the part of the text that is speaking about uh, being involved by the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, Paul's
2: already mentioned this, the law of the Spirit of Christ. Is this? law, of spiritual life that is within us in in Christ. Uh, Of course, once you make a statement like that, then a a whole lot of fireworks start going off and how do we understand this new covenant Mm. law in Christ?
0: So... um,
2: And it's a question. You don't want to answer it. I
0: but I want
2: to put a monkey wrench there.
0: In verse 5, you know, it says that that those who... um, live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit there's a connection between being in the spirit and how you act if if you are in the spirit you will act according to the spirit um and so the spirit of Christ being under the law of the spirit of Christ also contains within it this constraint towards life like Christ you live life um with the the spirit and the character that drove and shaped the way Christ lived, um, and we should walk according to that as well. We are under that that rule, and if we are in the spirit and we have minds set on the spirit, we walk according to the spirit as well. So there is a sense where being in that um, constrains us to to a way of life, in a yeah, way of acting. Yeah, and
2: and Bryce picks up on that in a lot of his writings when he talks about that this new way of thinking for the Christian is different from the Jew, mm-hmm. where it's it's a, led, a life led by the Spirit, through the indwelling of the Spirit. And that in and of itself becomes a law-like life. We understand the commands of God because Christ is God's Son. Yeah. And because of that we have this new way of living Paul phrases it that way we have a new way of living it's internal
0: but it's also important to keep track of the the change that has occurred that we we are freed from um, a law like the Mosaic law um, and we are transferred to a law of grace um, and a rule of grace and um, it's not that as new covenant people, we are suddenly, um, God just gives us the strength to do the Mosaic Law perfectly. Um, we, we've we transitioned into a new category under a, a new law, and that's important. Uh, um, I was just thinking that, he, I think Jesus
1: covered that
2: when he said, love, the Lord,
0: And this is the spirit of Christ that we are under the dominion of, and that we live according to. Christ. Christ did more than the law demanded. He he went beyond what the Pharisees would have concluded was enough to satisfy the law.
2: What's interesting, what Susan says was both those commands are also were given to the Jew, but they failed and only through the spirit can we live that out
0: Yeah, and and if (coughs) if you look in verse 4 when he says in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us um, that requirement of righteousness is is satisfied there's a sense that it is fulfilled in Christ um, because and, and the reason why it's fulfilled is because Christ took the penalties for our failure so the negative aspect of the law is upheld in Christ lived the life to earn us our eternal life and so the positive aspect of the law is fulfilled Um, but also it's fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit so there's a sense that the righteous requirement is already fulfilled but we also walk according to the spirit
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: so far. An unconverted person, it could be law-driven, whereas a person who's saved is spirit-driven. Yeah. Yes. and Yes. the spirit that drives us is a spirit that's not anti-law, but it's anti-under-the-law. Would that be a rough, right way of saying Can anybody say amen to that? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're still keeping the commandments. <coughs> so we're not. We we don't get uh, detached from the scriptures or the commandments of God. You know, those are still intact, but it's the spirit in which those up right now in our life there's not some compulsion under a legalistic oppression and
0: there's a huge shift in motivation because being under the law of of sin and death you are striving for righteousness so that you can get something from it eternal life and while there is a sense where um, as followers of Christ we're looking for that eternal life but we also have the spirit of Christ and Christ was also doing the things he did out of love for us and love for his father and um, his father's glory. And so we, we don't just strive for righteousness for eternal life like under the law, but rather we, we have the spirit of Christ that loves God and loves our neighbor. And so we long for righteousness for their sake.
2: I think a better word is uh, conscience, or at least to interject the word conscience. In other words, our consciences aren't bound by law, the law of Moses, but our conscience is now bound and obligated to the spirit to live spiritual life. And I think he, he, uh, he uh, implies that in, in verse 6. The mind set on the flesh is death. That's our conscience.
0: Yeah. Um but one of the big things about verse 5 is there's three conclusions that you can draw from the connection he puts between the way you walk and the way your mind is set one, those who walk in a certain way have their minds set in the same way so if you walk in righteousness it is because your mind is set on the spirit and if you walk in sinfulness in the flesh, it's because your mind is set on the flesh. So, and, and we're talking about lifestyle patterns. Of course, um, believers struggle with sin like everyone else. Um, well, not like everyone else, but we still struggle um, with sin until we we reach glory. But as our the general path of our life should be characterized. By walking in the spirit and growing in righteousness. So if someone doesn't walk in the spirit. If you see in their life that they walk in the flesh after fleshly things. The logical conclusion is that their mind isn't set on the spirit but on the flesh. Likewise, vice versa is true. That those who um, have their mind on the spirit will walk according to the according to the spirit and those who have their mind set on the flesh will walk according to the flesh so if we long to walk in the spirit we should set our mind on the things of the spirit um, but if we set our mind on the fleshly things and the things of this world we'll fall into sin and also that based on which camp you stand in your life will occur based on that so if you're saved god will cause you to walk in the spirit and if you aren't saved you will be in sin there if you don't have christ in your heart your heart will be leading you down paths of sin down paths of depravity it is something that you cannot avoid so god in longing in attempting to produce a people for his glory has established a order of the world where those who live in enmity to him walk the path to death and those who have peace with him Um, walk the path of life so if we we, we read through verses 6-9 through for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God you however are not in the flesh But in the Spirit, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So God has ordered the world in a particular way where righteousness is not achieved by our actions but by his free gift. And that order of things brings him glory, where those who are hostile to God because their mind is set on the flesh, those who cannot please God are on the path to death. But those who he has saved will receive peace and life, and this brings him glory, um, as it, it makes sense that those who love God and seek after him be rewarded um, shows how great he is and those who are in enmity with him be punished shows how, how great he is as well um, so I think the reason that this finds its way into a section that's largely focused on um, assurance as uh, chapter 8 is a, a chapter of assurance is Paul is trying to show us that God has bound up our well-being with his glory so that as we prosper as we receive good things for him his glory is magnified and, and if you follow the structure of the verse where in verse 4 it's saying that condemning sin in the flesh and providing salvation through that was in order that the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in us who walk according to the spirit we see that God has saved us for his own glory and that we can find assurance in that because God has has tied our well-being to his glory so that he can freely lavish gifts on us and see himself be glorified whereas in the law system he cannot lavish gifts on sinful people and be glorified because it would be contrary to his justice he cannot give people life and peace when they've broken his law because his justice would be affronted by it so God has ordered things in such a way where people who would normally be an affront to his law, his justice when they're blessed are instead a um, example of his glorious and steadfast love when he when he blesses them. It's, it's very clear that there's two categories here. That there's those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. And it's clear from this verse that there is no distinction, that there's no middle ground between the two. Paul is 100% confident that you are either in this camp or in this camp. And he he's very clear about the realities of the two different camps. So if you look at the first camp that we we all start under, under the law of sin and death. Those who are in you see in verse four that those who are under the law of sin and death do not fulfil the righteous requirement of God verse 6 you see that their path leads to death and you see that they are in verses 7 and 8 that they are hostile to God and unable to please him so if you are still in that camp under the law of sin and death you cannot please God you are an enemy of God your path leads to death and you do not fulfill the requirements for righteousness And if you're currently under the law of of the Spirit, understand that this is where you were. You were on the path to death. You could not please God. You were hostile to Him. And you did not fulfill the requirements for righteousness. And this change that has occurred, where all of those things are then flipped on their head, occurs entirely by the grace of God. As it must when you fall into a place where you are unable to please him it's obvious that if you cannot please God there's no way that you could by your own works enter a new category of favor with him so obviously this transition must occur by his grace so when you are under the law of the spirit something that has nothing to do with you And everything to do with God's love for you You now fulfill The requirements for righteousness the, the standard That's required to be kept Perfection Is fulfilled If you are under the law of the spirit If you fall into this camp and there's There's no moving back After you fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. God looks at you as if you are perfect because of what his Son has done. You are on the path that leads to life and peace, something that we experience a taste of now and will one day experience the fullness of in glory. And not only are you not hostile to God, an enemy of God who cannot please him, but God is pleased to dwell within you. you how, verse 9, you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells within you. So instead of verse 7 where you are hostile to God and verse 8 where you cannot please Him, His spirit dwells inside of you that is an amazing transition that God has brought into our life and one that we certainly don't deserve so we should live our life in accordance with these realities if you are freed from the law of of sin and death don't return to it if, if you have been pulled out of that camp by the death of God there's no reason for you to be turning back to it to practicing the things that you once practiced or to live seeking after external righteousness to be right with God you should live in peace and comfort and walking in righteousness because you have been saved from that because this is the reality of what God has done with in your heart and you should live in accordance with that and thanks be to God he makes us live in accordance with that and he will make that happen in any of us who are in the spirit do not forsake life and peace the, the path the destination of those who set their mind on the spirit for death the path of those who set their mind on the flesh when, when you're tempted to sin remind yourself that that is the path that Christ died to take you off of and that is the path that leads to death so walk on the path that leads to peace and life who knowingly if I offered you death or peace and life would say give me the death That's what I'm here for Who who knowingly would say If I said you can either be hostile to God Or be so beloved by him that he makes you his dwelling That he's happy to dwell within your heart I want hostility with the person who runs the universe. Don't, don't turn back to it. Before, you could not please the one who created you. You were enemies with your heavenly father. But now you have peace with God. And you do please him. And he is pleased to be in your heart. So, enjoy your your loving relationship with your your heavenly father and don't turn back to to what he died to free you from do not be confused there is no separation your acts betray your heart if you do not walk in the spirit you are, are not Christ's you are not free from sin and sin rules you And God's just condemnation is waiting for you. But the reverse is true. Do not be confused. If you walk in the Spirit, His Spirit is yours. You are in Him, free and safe for all times on the path to peace and life. Thanks be to the God and Father who sent His Son to cause that to be the reality of our life
1: do we walk in the spirit is that a position or is that a condition you follow the question in other words is every born again believer walking in the spirit or is an exhortation for born again people to walk in the spirit or um, combination? It,
0: it's both so it's it's the condition of our life because God has made that a reality in us but it is also something that we are called to live out um, to bear witness to the fact that it is the reality brought within us Um, how can we who have been freed from the law of sin and death walk in the flesh and so bearing witness to the reality of the change that God has produced in us We must strive ever onward and with increasing intensity to live according to that reality. Brother Todd, would you close us in (laughs) prayer?
2: Father, as Paul said, uh, let us be led by the Spirit so we might walk in the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And surely, O Lord, is it not both that we are led by the Spirit and we will walk with Him in our daily life? We cannot walk without Him and therefore, O Lord, we must follow Christ and his word, and live as if Christ were walking along our side. And, O oh Lord, that the worship service ahead, O oh Lord, would be the very center part of our uh, spirit-led life, is to give honor and glory and power and majesty to the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And therefore, lead us in worship, O oh Lord, as you lead us in our life. Hmm. And it may we worship in spirit and in truth. The glory
1: to name. Amen.
2: Right, there you go. There you go, Mr. George told me I confused you with a big word last last Tuesday. So there you go. That's for Mr. George. Oh, what not you give him? Thank you. I did give it a short little definition uh, after I said it. that yeah. thank you.
1: Thank you, young fellow. He does great.
0: I'm glad I caught my breath at some point. There are. Do you have to
2: walk?
1: nobody yeah. offered to drive? Uh, you? Uh, no, so I
0: live on Route 20. Um, the I live in a trailer park, and the guy doesn't do that very well. So I have to shovel a huge amount to get out. And I also have to shovel space for my dad to get out as well. So I was doing that. So I was locked locked in in to get out the door afterwards yeah. and I forgot myself Good. on the coffee this table got How halfway you
2: live in or
1: uh, park mm-hmm. the so
2: no. there yeah. Yeah. And, um, you couldn't ask for a better that's why I was having oh yeah so
0: yeah, the rough spot for a little bit. They left with his medication. Oh, really? Oh,
1: When they're off, I've been, been down there be sure this
2: year. To to oh, I'm right. oh, getting a second. He's been back and everything else. Of course, i am seeing him Oh, I can't use that for four I years. Go. Go down I shouldn't use that. I've got a hundred visitors. You know,
1: Hello, Sister Doe. It is a pleasure to be... Oh, hi, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Good night.